Thanks for tuning in and welcome to Same As It Ever Was, where we literally don't know what we're going to talk about. Hey there, buddy. What are you doing? What's up, that brother? <laughs> Hello, everyone in the internet radio land. Radio land. <laughs> more like, sounds more like Raga to me. Well, yeah, it could be whatever we want it to be. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> there is no wrong. There ain't no wrong now. There ain't no right. So, yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, uh, shit. Yes, so, indeed. All right. Indeed. Start this off like this. Have you seen Get Back? I have seen, uh, I have like 38 minutes, I think, left in episode one. Oh, my goodness. You, I mean, you, you, I did you gotta, say it was you, long. Listen, listen, listen. You got to understand the dynamic of my television viewing. Okay. Uh, off, off, off times, my wife has a stranglehold on the television in our house. Stranglehold. What a great song. It is a great song. Ted Nugent. Let's go. And no one, and no one even really seems to realize that Ted Nugent does not sing it. Everybody thinks that it's Ted Nugent singing that song. And how odd is it that you have a band that's like, it's Ted Nugent, but he's the guitarist. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how many mm-hmm. bands out there do you, like, how many bands out there, you know, are legitimate, like, rock and roll bands, but they're named after the guitarist? And not, like, the singer or somebody as, like, the front man. Rare. Rare in the extreme. Uh... Ooh, that that'd be a good one. That's a good one to like to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I okay. So we're thinking of a band that's named after somebody, but they're not the front person, right? Is that the is that the okay the challenge? Yeah. Yes. I think we can come up with another one. Um. I'm sure that we could. Right. Uh, that's ongoing through the show. That's, that's it, yeah, because I mean, I, you know, I'm thinking like Buffalo Springfield, but he actually was the singer. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Who else? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what we're no, because I mean, obviously, like. Like I say, I mean, you take, we were talking just, what was this last week or the week before about who are like the top 10 guitarists in rock and roll. Yes. Yeah. And then we had to specify like heavy metalists. Right. Like heavy so, metal guitar. So, I mean, and if then, you're, yeah. I mean, then we got the whole Yngwie Mountain thing. I'm like, eh. Right. Exactly. And like, you know, Yngwie is the guitarist, but then a lot of that, although he, he did but you, it has a, to be after named after the person well it can't be like the eagles you know what i mean like no 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 i mean because you take something like because ingbe might be an interesting take because uh because i was never a huge ingbe fan was he the main or did he sing most of the songs no he didn't sing so it was almost mostly instrumental yeah okay see that's what i thought and so therefore, I mean that that's sort of like Steve Vai. 
I mean, most of the stuff that Steve Vai ever does doesn't really have vocals to it. It's mostly instrumental stuff, hence why it's Steve Vai. Uh, same thing with uh, Satriani, but Satriani, actually, any of the singing that goes on, he usually did most of the singing. Like Big Bad Moon. Um, that was him on vocals. Um, but I can't really think of somebody like a an artist, a guitarist, who has, I mean... You had, you know, you had Jimmy Page, uh, but he did the album Page Coverdale or Coverdale Page. Uh, so Coverdale's name was in there. I went and saw Jimmy Page live. I um, thought that was the second coming, man. When that album came out and Coverdale Page, I was like, holy shit. Oh, I know. I mean, and it was so deliberately, it was so deliberately produced you know, to mimic everything about that Zeppelin sound. Everything about it. Well, you know? early, 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 like, Coverdale stuff. Oh, sure. You know, in a blues band, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, him and freaking, uh, you know, although they were contemporaries, really, I would say, you know, you could say, like, Deep Purple, but I mean, even I mean, Deep Purple was out there. They were they were out there pounding the stage at the exact same time that Zeppelin mm. was. There's some good fucking early Deep Purple shit. Oh, dude, it's ridiculous, ridiculous. I mean, I saw them live in like 1987. Uh, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts opened up for them. Um, yeah, that was a pretty intense show, man. Pretty intense show. And then I saw them again. I saw them again a couple of years ago in Virginia Beach, and I left after like halfway through the first tune. They opened up with, uh, they were, I think we talked about it before, they were touring with Priest. They were to- touring with Judas Priest. It made no sense to me. I was like, how in the world did you build these two bands together? They're not even of the same, same genre, man. <laughs> well, that's the whole Jimi Hendrix Monkeys tour. Yes. Exactly. Like what you're going to like this, like bubblegum pop band and like psychedelic guitar rock, you know, now those two things don't, I mean, cause we can, we could get into like bands that are named after people, but the people don't exist or they're not in the band. Right. Like Leonard Skinner. There's no one named Leonard Skinner in the band. No, no. Um, Gosh, I mean, that's their, their, well, I mean, Jefferson Starship. Yeah. You know, Jefferson Airplane, whatever, you know, because they went from airplane to Starship to just Starship. You know, I'm a fan. So man, confusing. do you really, do you, hey, man, you really dig Starship? Can you imagine? Can well, you, because, can you, you imagine being like, oh, yeah, man, I'm totally, dude, Starship rocks. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine being a starship fan oh my goodness oh, oh. <laughs> just just bad 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 yeah no, and I, I, I don't and i'm not and i know there's music that i molly to. it's jethro toll there's no one in the band name well jethro. right everybody thinks that uh ian anderson's name is jethro toll right Oh, the guy who plays the flute with the red hair. He's Jethro Tull. Like, no. His name's Ian Anderson. <laughs> the band's called Jethro Tull. Yeah. There's no one named Molly Hatchet. Right, exactly. Molly Hatchet. Molly, yeah, dude. 
another 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 you know but they but they fall molly hatchet in, in many ways falls into that same category as like kansas in that it's like i mean i probably couldn't name more than maybe maybe two or three molly hatchet tunes why did they pick kansas is this as simple as because they're from kansas i don't know it could be i mean that's boston right because they're from boston no, I know. But the New York Dolls. You know, because that could set you apart. Hey, okay. we're going to be called Idaho. Right. No, we're going to be South Dakota. Delaware. <laughs> let's, oh, let's man. Delaware. Oh, my God. Hey, did you ever, did you ever like, get in the whole thing uh, in military bands, like, naming the band? Oh yeah, we used to do. Uh, I remember going on tour one time, and it was the it was our rock band, you know, our popular music group, excuse me, uh, from uh, from Quantico, and so we were doing this tour that was all over like the greater Los Angeles area. We we're playing at different high schools and stuff like that, and uh, my friend Adam Pezdek was the one who was in charge of the band. I was playing drums and uh, and our our big thing was every show we had to have a different name. So we'd come up with a completely different name for the band every gig. Ooh. And we'd come up with these freaking ridiculous names. It was like um, oh my god, this was this was right at the time that there was uh, uh, what the hell do they call it? Like when the Palestinians are attacking the the Israelis. Um, I'm thinking Antifa. That's not the right word. Oh, what is it? Uh, what is it called? Basically, they're attacking <clears throat> them. And, and you remember the like the Israelis have like the Iron Dome, you know. So I can't remember what the hell the name we came up with it was. Like one of these shows, like I, I think the name of the band was something like, you know like Patriot Missile in the Iron Dome or something ridiculous shit. Patriot Missile. And I don't know, it wasn't Patriot Missile. It was something, I can't even remember what the hell it was, but it was freaking awesome at the Iron Dome. You know, it's like, dude, that is freaking ridiculous. Yeah, and of course, because nobody ever, like, nobody catches this. You know what I'm saying? Like, when you announce your name, like, as a military band, you're like, hey, you know, we're freaking, you know, you come up with these freaking, I don't even know, foolish names. And because, uh, of course, they've got to have something to do with, like, you know, the military thing. Like, they've got to have something to do with that, you know. We're the rock band from, uh, you know, we're the rock band from the air station. Our name is, uh, you know, Formation Run. Some stupid thing. Uh, so y'all, y'all never like. I know, like when I was in Japan, uh, and it's still called this, by the way. Orient Express was the rock band. Orient then, Express. Yep. And then the uh, the big band slash show band was called Far East Edition. Far East Edition. There you go. Those are so, let's see, but so, those but, are indoor. That was, but the, see, that's branding, right? And then you know, the short was like fee. Far East Edition or OE, Orient right? Edition, right, but like you know, did anyone outside a... of your organization know what the names of these bands were? Yes, no, that's why they kept the names because people knew who it was. Mm-hmm. That was okay. like like from the fifties. Wow. Uh, so you know, we've had the Navigators, 
That's kind of a cool name. I That's think. kind of a cool name. Yeah. 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 We had one that I, I was actually right before my time uh, that everyone talked about for years. And I think it was like the, the show band as they used to call it at that time. Um that was out of Cherry Point, I think, which was, you know, Second Marine Aircraft Wing. And the name of the band was Tiller. Like the tiller on the back of a plane. Oh, okay. Right. But apparently, I mean, this band was, I can't remember who the band officer was at the time, but everything that I ever heard about it, it was like, dude, this shit was run like it was freaking James Brown. Like, I mean, it was serious business. Like, whoever the whoever the band officer was, was absolutely insistent that everything had to be absolutely perfect. They would have, and, you know, I mean, for folks who don't know, uh, it was only a couple of years ago that the Marine Corps actually started looking, like, deliberately getting out there and looking for people who could sing. You know, like, vocalists, you could join the Marine Corps and become a singer with the Marine Corps bands, uh, you know, before the past couple of years, this was something that basically it was like, okay, you had a bunch of musicians and they even you... let your ass sing. Well, right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, desperate measures. Oh man. Desperate I, rocked, I rocked that shit. Rock that shit. Freaking own the, own That'd the be audience. a good band name. In Desperate sun. Measures. Yeah, that would that would be a great album name. That sounds like a Rush album, Desperate Measures. <laughs> right. uh, it does. No, but I mean, incite the audience, incite them, make the school, make the school faculty nervous that this is going to get out of control. That was the goal. That is the goal. But yeah, like my understanding is that it, I mean, it was literally you know because all you were doing was fishing for people that could sing, and you were just hoping. You know, you heard that, oh, you know, so-and-so says that so-and-so, you know, can carry a tune. And it would get to the point where it was like, so-and-so didn't have a choice. We need a so vocalist. If there was a, if there was a uh, yeah, like, I think the, the Navy, we, we have cool, like, names of, of uh, vehicles that we use, right? Yes. Like, again, the Destroyers. Mm-hmm. That's pretty badass rock band name, just FYI. No, that's cool. Not a list, but we never be like the airplanes or this. This, I wasn't there one called like something round, like three round or uh, oh, three round burst or something. Yeah, that's kind of a cool name, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's all right, but like you can't say, be I'm in th- three. Hey, you can't be in three round burst and come out singing Taylor Swift. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, now, uh, I, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is that it's like, obviously, you know, when you're doing this sort of thing, it's like, okay, well, you've got to be sensitive to, you know, you have to be sensitive to. I um, got it. I came up with one. Yes. You ready? Okay. Van Halen. Halen. Shut up. No. That, that, that is a great have, name. No, 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 no. The, didn't, the front man wasn't, it wasn't named after, there's a name, you know, like Ted Nugent. Oh yeah, like Van Halen. Yeah, he. That's well, that's true. That's true. That's true. I like. I can't imagine like having a band, having a band, and just well, it's like my well, like my brother and I. You know, like we're in the same band. I can't imagine us name like, dude. We're gonna name this band Wallace. Yes, that would that would work. 
We're going to name it Braveheart. Just Wallace. <laughs> I can't even freaking imagine being that egotistical. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you going to name the band? We're going to name it Braveheart. Why, well, because our now last name's Wallace. That's why. Like, Dude, okay. By the way, I know a guy, and literally his name is Duncan McLeod. Duncan McLeod. From the Clan McLeod. Clan McLeod. Oh, Jesus, man. Is he actually, does he have an, is he from Scotland? Or is this just a family name? Family name. Ah, uh, okay. He well, was, that's like, he, I, was, he was born like, before the movie came out. So. Dude, it's like guys who are named Hamish. Yeah. Did you know damn? Family name. That's a freaking family name. Nobody, nobody is like, let's think of a good, a good name for a boy. How about Hamish? No, nobody's doing that. You know, I mean, but te- technically, I'm starting to, I'm, I'm like, I'm starting to think about it. Like, the, the, the band Fish is they named it after John Fishman, but they just used a PH instead of an F. Nah, that's no. Were you, were you, were you ever really like, like engrossed in Fish? Um, Honestly, I got introduced to them in college. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, all right. I mean, I get it. But at the same time, I didn't know that when I was listening to it in college, I was listening to Carl, Carl Gearhart, who, right, band officer. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh. Yeah. Like, you didn't become engrossed in like the culture of it. No, I mean, I, like, I like the jam band part of it, but I, I thought the lyrics were fucking stupid. Well, because they are. I'm not a huge, and I'm sorry for the folks out there that are big fish. Here we go. You know what? God bless you. But I never, I mean, I remember, I remember hanging out, like this was a long, long, long time ago. A long, 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 long time ago. Before the wind, before the snow. Uh, Freaking hanging out with deadheads. I mean, do do you, I like some, I, I don't like I, all of the, the Grateful Dead stuff, but I like some of the songs. I don't like anything that the Grateful Dead ever recorded in a studio. Oh yeah, no, that's not them. It's garbage. I mean, if you if you really want to hear, you know, if you really want to hear uh the Grateful Dead, you have to listen to bootlegs. And I preferably something from around maybe 19 between 76 and 79 or something. You know, like they, this is back when, and again, there's a lot of people. So some folks listening to the show may not recognize these things. Uh, The Grateful Dead made their name off of a number of things. Number one, that everybody who went to their show was highly inebriated. Uh, And obviously they had this whole culture, like cult-like following with people that just followed them everywhere. Um, You go touring with the dead, man. Uh, which my sister Nicole actually did that for like three years. She actually went on tour and just like followed the Grateful Dead. Um, but the other thing is, is that they were one of the only bands out there that would play for like, they do like a four hour show, which is a long ass show. Yeah. But they would never stop playing. All the songs would just segue from one song to the next they would just jam so it was like okay well this is the order of the songs that we're playing but it wasn't even like planned 
it was just like, okay, we're going to like start here and then we're going to make our way to that. And then we're going to make our way to the next thing. So there was just, when you're there listening to it and watching it live, it's just nonstop music happening, you know? Um, And they were masters of it. And I will say that Fish is equally as masterful in their approach. Uh, They are incredible players. I will never deny. Uh, There was a a great album that came out a number of years ago uh, called Oysterhead. Have you ever listened to Oysterhead? No. No, dude, it was uh, freaking. What is his name? Um, Trey Anastasio from Fish. Yeah, uh, it's him. Um, it's him. Uh, freaking from uh, Primus, Les Claypool, and Stuart Copeland from The Police. Jesus, dude, what an album! I mean, so cool. Such a cool... And they only did one album. Um, and I know I've mentioned that on the show before because I remember mentioning that when they were released, they were doing a release thing for this. And the day that they were supposed to release this album and do their big show for their opening of their tour was 9-11. And they had to cancel it. And it really sort of like left a sour taste in everybody's mouth about pursuing it in, in any way. Um, but my point just simply being that um, so, you know, that's one of the things that made the dead so famous was the fact that they had this approach. The other thing that I will say was that set the dead aside from so many other live acts was the fact that they openly encouraged people to bootleg and record their shows. Yes. Which was total antithesis of anything that was going on in any kind of popular music since i don't know like the beginning of time i mean like since recorded music and people started making money off of it um so i mean you see pictures you see pictures of like dead shows from back in the 70s and shit and it's just like nothing but these boom stands everywhere with mic stand with microphones on them you know and people with these little, you know, at the time little, because obviously this was antiquated media, but it was like, you know, they had recording devices that they're just there openly recording their live shows, um, which in a sense was very cool because what it did for people like you and me is it, it provided for us and for everyone as well, just a, a treasure trove of recordings of them playing live. Um, and in my mind, that's just the best. That's the only way to listen to the Grateful Dead. Um, you know, the the sound, the quality, the warmth of, of the live recording. Well, and, and they, they did some pretty good, like, amazing um, technological things because they had the wall of sound. Yep. Yeah. And just the way that the speaker system was, like, set up. Oh, it was, uh, they it never was... used monitors. Because yeah, it was the, because it, the speakers are behind them. Right. Yeah. It was it was a the entire machine of the dead was was specifically geared towards live performance. And that's just that was where they did their thing. And I know that for a lot of people that were diehard deadheads, 
this was one of the things that they had a real problem with when it came to fish because they, a lot of these diehards felt that fish was basically just sort of ripping off the dead, you know, that they were just simply copying them, that they were doing this same kind of jam thing and, you know, segueing and, you know, uh, just, you know, you obviously had fish heads, you just like the dead, you had these people that just followed fish around and just, went on tour with them like people used to go on tour with the dead um i don't know i mean i've never been a huge fan of fish I, the one thing that i will the one thing that I, I i i do give them huge creds for is the fact that they were so well rehearsed um, oh, you know yeah. my understanding is that you know the guys in that band i mean rehearsal for them like getting together and playing was i mean that was like every day you know it wasn't just like they walked on stage and just jammed it was like they were genuinely interested in refining their skill set as an ensemble and trying to be as absolutely tight as they could possibly be um which i mean if you're going to be that kind of a band that that plays that much i mean dude just the stamina required you know what i mean I mean, the stamina to be able to play those kind of shows and rehearse on top of it, dude, <laughs> you better be eating your freaking Wheaties, dude. You know, you better be eating your Wheaties if you're going to be doing that. Because, I mean, now, you, now you're talking, what, even if it's a, a, a two-hour rehearsal, you're talking six hours of straight playing in a day? Woof. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... But I will comment. I will comment. Um, and this is my new music contribution, is this episode one of uh, Get Back. Um, oh, okay. Well, well, I mean, we're going to break into it now. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure that we'll have a lot more to say once I actually finish watching this thing. Uh it, it was surreal to me. It was surreal. There were moments of it being surreal. And when I mean that, what, what I mean by that is that y- you were, I think the thing about watching the Beatles, like anything that you've ever seen of the Beatles is like everything around them has always been so sort of controlled. And right, yeah. you you never really had there was always there's always been this sense of this sense of like are you know is is what you're seeing a genuine like representation of what was really going on uh with them or are you basically seeing like the record company's you know uh desire or what they're trying to control you being able to see like how deep are the fractures, especially at this late stage in their careers together. Um, and I think it was, it was so there were moments where it was surreal because I'm sitting there watching and it's so unvarnished. It's so unvarnished. You're sitting there watching, I'm watching it and I'm thinking like, it's almost as if like in, in my mind, I'm thinking like, this has to be like a reenactment or something. 
you know, nope. like th- th- this can't, this can't genuine, this can't actually be like the real Beatles, like because they're just hanging out, like having a conversation. This is for folks who have not seen this. I mean, you're talking about these guys spending fifty-seven hours of footage preparing to do this live concert, whatever it's going to be, but having to write the music get together, write the music, rehearse, and be ready for this thing, and they have, like, two weeks to do it. Hmm. And so it's just them getting together on this soundstage where they have all their equipment set up, and they've got cameras going all the time, and you've got these people who are sort of, like, producers and grips who are sort of off stage just sort of hanging out, whatever, while the band is there just doing their thing. And it's obviously one of these situations that's like, I mean, whatever these guys want or need, all they got to say is, hey, can you get me this thing? And boom, it's there. You know, yeah, no, I got you, whatever, get it for you. Got to feed the cash cow. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and it's simple stuff like, hey, can you get me some orange juice? You know what I mean? Like, okay. Um, You know, it's, but you're seeing these conversations that are happening uh, where it's like, they're just talking about it's like George and fucking Ringo were talking about like this television show that they watched the night before and how like weird it was or whatever. And it's like you had said last week when we were talking about this, like that to me, that is the thing that so far has been so endearing about watching it because as much as we sort of hold these artists up, like they're legends, it's the fucking Beatles, man. You know, as much as we hold them up as being these legends, it's like, dude, they're having the same kind of conversations that anybody who's in a collaborative music making ensemble like this has. Yeah. Like, you're just hanging out, man. Like, it's not as if when you're together, everything is about like, okay, well, what are the chord changes? And blah, 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 blah. It's like some of that time that you're spending together is just like, Oh man, I had this fucking beer last night and it was fucking awesome. You guys have to try it. Oh shit, really? What is it? You know, like we're just having conversation as people just talking about shit that has nothing to do with music. Um, you know, so it's sort of seeing that. Um, I think that part of it is the songwriting process, which again, like you said last week, is so, as a songwriter, is so familiar. You know, I've got, you know, so-and-so comes to the rehearsal with an idea, you know, and this happens, dude, this happens almost, this happens every time my band writes a song. Somebody comes to the band and, and says, hey, check out this, check out this riff that I figured out. And usually it's like I, they've got like part one and then they've got something as a follow-on. And it's like, yeah, I was thinking like this thing. And then it would be followed by this other thing. But that's all I have. And so it, that naturally turns into, okay, cool. Well, let's jam on that. You know, let's play on that idea and then see about making some sort of a transition. And then can we come up with something that's beyond that? And I mean, and it's crazy how this happens because it really, it, it can realistically can happen like in one night. I mean, we've had we've at least in a rough. We've been cut. on runs like that before. <laughs> Seriously, it's like 
you you just I mean there's times where you seriously come away from like you know it's it's one evening of playing and you kind of have a whole song written you just put it together piece by piece and then obviously you can refine it and, and get into the weeds with it more but they're doing that like you see this moment where uh you know you see this moment where like they're waiting for John to show up, which I will say not to spoil anything for any of the Lennon fans out there. I think John's late to every rehearsal, <laughs> which re- re- leads me to what would be my next point. But um, you see this moment where it's him, it's Paul and, and George and Ringo. And, you know, Paul is just jamming on this riff. You know, like he's got this idea and as he's jamming on this riff, he's sort of coming up with like a melodic line for a vocal with no words. He's just sort of making like syllables. Yeah, he's making syllables and just finding melody to go with it. And what you're hearing, and this is the thing that is amazing for those who have not watched this documentary, is that what you are witnessing in this moment is the very moment of inception, conception of Get Back. Which we all know as this legendary tune by the Beatles. I found it. I found myself like, no, that's not it. That's not the word. No, come on. You're almost there. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like You can see him getting to this. You can see him piecing it together in his head. Just like any of us do as songwriters that's what happens you know that's what happens when you're a songwriter like i can have a song that you know because we we don't typically write like that like usually the way we usually write all the music and get it all going and then the vocals are sort of like okay well how do the vocals fit in this um but it's similar in the sense that like i mean i've got a song i've got a recording of it i'm trying to figure out a vocal for it so as I'm listening to it, I'm just sort of playing with melodies, singing along. And again, not even singing words. I'm just sort of singing melodies. Do I want longer sustained notes here? Do I want something that's more cho- you know, choppy and it has more motion? You know, whatever. Um, and that's exactly what he's doing in that moment. Like he's piecing it together as he's going. But the fact that you're witnessing in this moment on your television the very moment that this is being put together again it's it's that's the conception of this song that everybody freaking knows everybody knows um and that's pretty cool that's pretty wild to actually sort of the fact that after all of these years that especially as fans well as fans but especially as musicians who are fans to be welcomed or to have the opportunity to to see that on behalf of the songwriting legends is pretty special. That's pretty amazing. Um, the uh, The last thing I think is, as I as I mentioned about this whole thing with John, um, there's a couple things there. Number one. I think so far in the over two, two and a half hours that I've watched, uh, I think there was only one scene where they're in the sound studio and Yoko is not there. 
with him. Like she's there all the time. And interestingly enough, it doesn't seem to bother anybody. Everybody's just sort but, of like, oh, okay. But okay, what is she saying? Well, that's the thing is that she's just hanging out doing like, but it's the fact that it's like, it's the fact that she's right there next to him. Like she's not sort of hanging off across the room or like giving him his space to just like sort of do what he's doing. It's like she's right next to him. The entirety blanket. Well, and that's the thing that is very interesting. It's like, you know, she's not doing anything in particular other than just like doing crossword puzzles or some shit, you know? Um, But it's the fact that she's that present and it doesn't seem to unnerve or bother anybody in the band. They're all just sort of like, well, it's Yoko, you know? Um, which I think is interesting too, because I think that shows you the level of respect that they had for each other. Well, do you think, so what you've seen so far is that uh, what is precursor to breaking up the band? Oh, absolutely. Because I think that's the thing is that you can see, you see. But what is she doing? She just no, 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 no. I'm not, not, I'm not saying I'm, anything. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about her being a cause of a breakup. I'm not saying that. Because well, everyone said Yoko Ono. No, that's, that's oh, I don't think. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that, you know, uh, and I've heard interviews with, with these guys before, um, but especially with John. Like, John, first of all, John was the oldest one out of all of them. No, Ringo is. Is he really? I thought yep. John was the oldest one. Um, but, you know, in interviews later on in his career, I think part of what is very sad, I will admit, is that when you're watching this thing, and you're seeing them sitting there playing together and you're looking at John and really thinking to yourself, like it's kind of crazy and sad and heartbreaking to think as you're watching this, that this man only had like 10 or 11 years left to live. That is pretty fucking sad. Cause you're seeing this man like approaching his prime. Dude, he's 27 in the movie. Like that's, that's the thing that freaks the shit out of me. They're all yes. 27. That's, you know, but it's like, and he's about to launch into this whole post Beatles career, you know, that took him as an artist to a completely different level, you know? Um, But I think that like in these interviews that I've seen with him before, he's very candid about the fact that, you know, when the Beatles started, they were just kids, you know? And the whole time that this whole Beatlemania thing was happening, they were kids. I mean, they were only like in their early freaking twenties. They were late teens, early twenties. They were the biggest fucking thing in the world. You know, obviously, you know, they talk about the whole thing with, you know, him making that off the cuff freaking remark about being more popular than Jesus. And when that happened, it was like, well, forget touring in the States because everybody in the States was burning their Beatles albums because how dare you say this, you know, this is blasphemy, you know, that you would say something like this. And I, and they were so caught off guard by the reaction to that, that I really think that that was one of the major contributing things to the fact that they just decided like, dude, we're not doing that anymore. Like we're not going out and touring. Like we don't need to go pound stages 
to impress people or to do what we want to do. Like we want to write music. We want to write and record music and that's what we're going to do. Um, which obviously led to all these later albums, you know, that are some of their greatest material. Uh, but I think that it's interesting that you watch, you watch the sort of, and it's not, it, there's moments, there's moments where you can see like real affection between John and Paul, you know, you can see them because you, because most people I think, have this tendency to look at the band or think of the band at this point in their career and think like somehow John and Paul, like weren't talking or something, you know what I mean? That they just like hated each other or something. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that it was that they felt that they were growing apart, but you can still see these moments where they're like looking at each other in the middle of playing and like bouncing ideas off of each other. And you can see that there's a connection between the two of them still. But you can also tell that they're definitely becoming very different people, probably than they ever were before. I mean, they are—they were very different people. Just their background, their upbringing. I mean, anybody who knows anything about Lennon and McCartney, their backgrounds were incredibly different, vastly different. Um, you know, Paul really led as a kid, led a very typical sort of sheltered childhood. Um, middle class, you know, type of thing. And John's upbringing was not really like that. Um, but you can see these moments where they're really diverging too. I mean, you can see these moments where it's, you know, you get that sense, at least I do from watching it, like this sense, like Paul is very committed to the fact that we as a band have committed to doing this thing and we have to do everything necessary to make it happen. You know, and John is, at least to some degree, sort of disassociated from it. Am well, I, it didn't is help that, that he was fucking high most of the time, too. Well, yeah, but I'm not. I'm just saying, but he, like not seeming to have, like he's not feeling this. He's not feeling this pressure to like, you know, we we have to get this done. Like you can see Paul in these moments where it's like he's really pushing, and he's talking to like the producers and like. You know, he's really he's being the adult in the room. Ab- yes. Yeah. He's being the leader. He's being the band leader in this moment. And John is really sort of just like, you know, he's just showing up to play. And like, as far as he's concerned, like if this whole thing blows the fuck up, then who cares? You know, because he's just here because he really he's here because he has to be. You know, and not that he doesn't love the, it's not that he loves these guys any less. It's just that he's getting to a point in his artistic growth where he's feeling that he needs to grow beyond the Fab Four. And which makes absolute sense. I mean, he feels that. And you, and hence the band, you know, didn't exist for much longer after this because. I mean, each of these guys had gotten to a point where they were just sort of like, okay, I think I'm ready to like do something else. This isn't, you know, it's like, what is it? Ferris Bueller's day off, you know, let me quote John Lennon. I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me, you know, Mm. I mean, and I think that's really, that's especially for John, that's really where he was at. Like he was just ready to move on. Um, So, but yeah, but like I say, it's, and it is kind of interesting. Like I hadn't listened to Let It Be for a long time, um, 
and you do have some of it's a, it's an interesting um conglomeration of tunes that are on it some of them are very highly produced and then obviously you have the live tracks from the rooftop concert and that's the part that i will say that i'm i'm excited to get to like i see where they are right now because in episode one they're still trying to figure out like where are we doing this concert? Like, are we doing, are we supposed to be doing this thing here on this soundstage? Cause this place sounds like shit and there's gotta be someplace better that we could go. And they're coming up with all these crazy ideas. Like Paul's coming up with these ideas. Like we should totally go somewhere and like, and just bring our equipment and totally like trespass and like, just go set up and start playing somewhere. Um, and then you've got, you know, this, this designer who's talking to John about, building plastic blocks that the audience will stand on and like you'll be able to see through them and see the band and you know it's almost like the people will be elevated in the air and like all this crazy shit yeah it's like what the fuck are you talking about uh yeah and that's probably the being high part um my question and this is one of the things that i thought was dude it, it again another sign of where this fucking band was what is up with what's up with George's fucking Hari Krishna buddy? I know, right? That guy's just in the back, <laughs> like, what? Who is that? <laughs> That's, I'm like, can you imagine being in a band, Jeremy, where like your bandmate just has this tag along, who just like hangs out over in the corner of the room and just like, like sitting on the floor, just like in this trance, just like. And George is totally like this normal dude. He's just like like this dude who's following him around is like his puppy or something. I'm like, I would I if that were me, I would be like, dude, what's going on? <laughs> what's up with the dude in the corner? I'd be like, George, what's up with your friend in the corner? Is he gonna be there all day? <laughs> what's he doing, George? Uh, let's see. <laughs> I'm trying to think like if there's any I'm I'm trying to go through the the first episode in my head cuz you haven't seen the last 38 minutes and it's pretty pivotal. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Like I say, I'm, I I want to see how we may, how we get through this and we get to the point of like the rooftop concert mm. which was the last time that the Beatles ever performed live as as a group. They bought they brought in fucking Billy Preston you know, which was genius because he's fucking awesome. Um, you know, they bring him in as like the fifth Beatle. Um, but I'm just, I'm interested to see, you know, how do you, how do they make that transition? You know, because episode one, there still is really no, like no one has made a decision about what's actually happening here. Like they're too focused on, oh, dude, we have to fucking write songs. And they're and and at least Paul, Paul seems to be the one who's kind of stressing. Like, dude, we've only written like two songs, and we've been here for five days, and like we need to have a shit ton of songs written. Um, and that's mad pressure. I can't even imagine that kind of pressure. I mean, having to cough up that much material, and it's like it's all got to be new stuff. And they start playing around with all of these ideas about like, should we do cover tunes? 
you know, should we start like, should we start working on some cover tunes or should we start working on uh, like playing some of our old stuff, whatever, which I mean, I don't even know how I would have felt about that. I mean, how would you have felt like watching them at that no. point in their career and they were cutting been, into no. like, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or like them cutting into like hard days night. You'd be like, well, this is just fucking weird. <laughs> like, well, not to mention the fact that once you go from like Rubber Soul and Revolver, there's no going back. Dude. Well, yeah, that's what Stars I mean. Peppers. Yes. Like I mean, you can't go back. No, there's no way that you go back to this. You, old... you, there, there, that line is there. Yes. You, you do not know. Everything else was the teeny bopper shit. Yes. Yep. That they had so that they had so evolved by the time they get to where you are in this documentary that it's like there's just no way that you could just okay well let's go back and you know let's pull let's up be some... honest magical mystery tour was a fucking throwaway album yeah well, <laughs> let's just get fucking weird no it's it's true i mean obviously there are some songs that are you know that are have been forever popular you know with it um but in you know in terms of total concept you know, and the thing, dude. and the thing that, I, and one of the things that I forgot about, really, honestly, man, was like, was it was, and it was funny because you see it at the beginning of the documentary is them like going back to all these clips of all like the Beatles movies. Yeah, I where they totally, did all the movies and shit, dude. But, yes, but... I totally had like forgotten about all that shit, and just watching the the little clips that they had, and I'm like, oh my god, it's like this is how insane their lives had become. You know, like they're just these four fucking dudes from Liverpool playing in this band and they have suddenly turned into megastars. I mean, the entertainment business is just like, we want you to do everything. Like we want you to write songs. We want you to play songs. We want you to record them. We want you to make movies. We want you to do voiceovers for animated movies. Like, Dude, and how fucking old were they when that was happening? I mean, what? 24, 25 yeah, years old. That's what I'm saying. Like, can you imagine being like 24 years old, 23, some shit like that? And and there and there's this expectation of you. You know, we want you to you know, you're going to do everything. Like we're going to make you guys into stars of everything. And it'll all be geared towards marketing. I mean, dude, heavy <laughs> look i can only imagine that it wouldn't take very long before you'd be like get me the fuck out of here get me out of here you know what i'm saying like you just can't endure that kind of pressure uh i mean we see artists all the time now but i mean the fact that it was the, the you know they were following in this you know they were following at that moment like the great tradition of of, of the king man you know what I'm saying? I mean, they were following in the footsteps of Elvis. I mean, look at what the look at what the entertainment industry did to him. You know, they tried tur- tried turning him into a fucking you know, they tried turning him into a you know this fucking movie star and shit. It's like, dude, just let him be a singer. <laughs> you know, I mean, just absolutely wild, absolutely wild. I'm really, I'm really excited. I will say. 
uh, Jennifer's working the weekend. I think I'm going to spend some time finishing and this uh, rounding this up. Yeah. A good, a good portion of my weekend is going to be dedicated to, to wrapping up this documentary because I'm really excited about seeing the rest of it. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people won't understand like we do, but yeah. I feel like a lot of people won't understand what's going on as far as like, you know, the, it seems like they're wasting a whole bunch of time and, you know, the process well, yeah. of creating the song and the music. Right. Well, and I, again, I mean, I think that that was one of the things that was really neat. Like you see them in these moments where, um, you know, like George has this idea for a tune and, you know, he's he's playing the song and as he's sort of singing lyrics, like he's he's yelling out the chord changes to everybody. You know, so he's like playing along. He's like, you know, G, blah, 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 uh, B minor, you know, whatever. And it's like, oh, my God, dude, that is so stereotypical, like rock and roll band songwriting. <laughs> yeah, it just it to me, it, it made them it made them more like real. Yes. Like, oh my God, this is the way I do it. Right. Well, and that's, and that's kind of what I was trying to say. You know, that's kind of what I was trying to say is like, even when they're having these conversations and everything, it's like, dude, these aren't rock stars. These aren't rock stars talking. These are just these dudes, these guys, like these friends who are like, they write music and they hang out and they're talking and you know, it just is what it is. Like that is, and, and that's, and because it was so natural, you know, because it was so natural, it literally felt like I must be watching like this has got to be some sort of, you know, this has got to be some sort of reenactment or something. This like, how could this possibly be the real guys having this? How would we be privy to that? But obviously you are. I mean, I do think it's kind of interesting and they do um, they do have a disclaimer at the beginning, which basically is explaining that not all of the video you see is directly corresponding to the audio that you're hearing. Right. Because there's a lot of time where they got recordings of their conversations or whatever Um but they what they but they didn't have video of those exact conversations, but they have video or still shots or whatever that correspond to those moments. Um, and a lot of time when you a lot of time when that happens, you barely even notice it. You know what I mean? Like you'd have to look real close to notice, like, okay, that's not exactly what Paul's saying right there. His mouth isn't moving at the right time or whatever. Um but yeah, no, it is it is very very cool. Again, I think it's I I find it kind of interesting that it seems like the guys it seems like the first dude who's there every day is Ringo. I know, right? He's, he's the and he doesn't say much. No, no, no. But you know what I can see in him is if you've ever seen, uh, and I will highly recommend this. We're talking about rock and roll documentaries here. Uh, the Who's documentary, The Kids Are All Right. Mm. Awesome documentary. And it was released right before 
uh, actually was released after uh, after Mooney passed away. Um, but there's there's a collection of of little excerpts of this interview that uh, Keith Moon and Ringo Starr do together. And mind you, this is like 1977, 1978. It's further down the road than what you're seeing in Get Back. But seeing, you know, seeing Ringo and sort of his demeanor hanging out and everything, you see, it makes me think of these clips from The Kids Are All Right when it's him and freaking Keith Moon hanging out together, you know, because they're the drummers in the band, you know. They're just the guys who sit in the back and and bang on shit and like, you know. But when you see them and the kids are all right, they're all like, you know, they're filthy rich. I mean, stupid rich. At that point, you know what I mean? Like, dude, you think about I you think about how much money a guy like Keith Moon had by the time he died in 1978. I mean, just dumb money. Um. And, uh, enough money that he could spend it on just like dressing up in costumes and pretending to be Napoleon for the day because <laughs> you wanted to be Napoleon I mean whatever but it's in those moments I can see Ringo and I'm like uh, yeah I could see how Ringo and Keith could be friends <laughs> you know <laughs> drummers of like t- drummers of two of the biggest rock and roll bands in history just like hanging out together like can you imagine being at that party those two? Oh my god. Just any of those parties. Any of the I can't even imagine, Jeremy. So experimental. Oh my god. <laughs> like how did these guys survive? You know, some of them I, didn't. Some of them <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some of them didn't survive. Oh my god. Yeah. Actually, and you know, it was actually kind of crazy. I think it was yesterday I saw a thing somebody uh this group on uh Facebook um it was the anniversary of Zeppelin breaking up yesterday. Kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. It was when the band finally, after after Bonzo, after Bonzo passed away, they were like, yeah, we got to hang this up. Pretty wild. Long time ago. So I don't know if you had anything. I know I've been running my suck this entire no, episode. No, this, like, this, this, this is a journey. Yeah, no, I think it is. Not not a lot of people, you know, well, one, you're the experiment, two, uh, as far as for the show. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. No, this, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, I would say, as far as music documentaries are concerned, this is one of the most prolific. Yes. In my opinion. Sure. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's kind of serendipitous that they, they got that much footage and all that and then they were Peter Jackson was allowed to like let's remake this yeah well that, exactly I mean it's amazing that I mean how many years ago was this now and I mean what is that 50 years yeah you know and for 50 years they managed to somehow keep all of this footage under wraps that well, and is, then is the technology of being able to uh, clean it up, it. yeah, because it looks great. It Come looks on. amazing. I think that was the other thing that really shocked me. Like, I'm watching it, and when I first start, I'm, I'm expecting it to look grainy, yeah, like analog, you know, like 
typical old, you know, early 70s footage, whatever. And when you see it, it's like, holy shit, is this like 4K or something? It looks so new that it makes it hard to almost, again, this is where you're almost like, is this like a reenactment or something? Because it looks like something that was filmed yesterday. I mean, what they've done in terms of the technology, like you say, to clean it up is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, so, yeah. Did you have anything for uh, New Music Monday? Or were you... Uh... Uh, I, I mean, uh, that was pretty good. I, I will say um, wh- what I did have, Tom Morello has a new collaboration album out. Okay. Ton- tons of people. Um, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Rage Against the Machine fan. I'm a yeah. big Tom Morello fan right. as a guitarist. I just wanted to quantify that. Right. Um, but, you know, it's it's called the Atlas Underground Flood. Um, but he does a lot of cool stuff. You know, he, he was in a band called the Night Watchmen. Did or, you know that? Have no. you ever listened to that? Uh-uh. Huh. Okay. Never even heard of it. Oh, yeah. But, like, he does a freaking song with Alex Lifeson and Kirk Hammett. Oh, wow. Yeah, dude. Like, what? Okay. Damn. Yeah, so it's something to check out. I'll, I'll post Yeah, post something on there. there. I'd like to check that out. That sounds cool. But, dude, t- t- totally check out The Night Watchman. That's what I mean. Say, like, that one, this is different. This is just one of his, this is his song, his stuff. Right, right, right. And, you know, for some people, it's not their cup of tea, but, you know, Cup of, we'll cup of tea. Cup of tea. Mm, since we're talking about the <laughs> since we're talking about the Beatles. <laughs> I know. It's not that cup of tea. Dude, the amount of tea they drink. Oh yeah. I mean, I've visited England before. Yeah. Um but you know, obviously living there is completely different, but like I just didn't realize tea and toast. I know, there's toast everywhere. There's fucking toast every, and I'm like, what else? It's just toast and butter. Yeah. I'm like, what? And yeah. well, it's funny. There's an interview with uh, the Hani uh, Harrison, and you know, he, there's he still has clothes that his dad wore in that film, right? Oh uh, yeah. And, and he was like, how did he fit in that? And his his wife was like, malnutrition. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh huh. Oh, dude, totally. And that's why I did notice that. I was like, God, George is thin. God, he's so yeah. thin. Think about this, dude. He was 25 at that time because he's the youngest one. That's crazy. I, dude, think about what they had been through already. I know. That's. You know I just. I, mean? I can't imagine having been. I mean, dude, he joined the Beatles when he was 13. That's fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> yeah. And think about everything that he had been through. I mean, this was 1971, 1970. Oh, no, no, no. It was 69. This is 69? Yeah. So, I mean, what? He was 25, so when he was, like, I don't know, 20 years old, like, was coming to the States and the shit hitting the fan completely? I mean, that's just nuts. So crazy. So, hey, but for all the folks who are out there checking out the show, thank you so much for tuning in. This is going to be our... By the way, it, it, this is going to be called Get Back Part 1. Yeah, Part 1. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be talking about this some more. So I'm hoping that you guys are enjoying listening to it. At least from our perspective, I really, I, 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 from the bottom of my heart, if you are a fan of rock and roll, and whether you like the Beatles or not, 
if you're a fan of rock and roll, if you're especially if you're a, a collaborative, you know, songwriter, you please watch this. It is it is absolutely it is eye opening and it's heartwarming. It really is. Um, and it's sort of inspiring. It, it makes you want to get get out there, you know, get back into the into the studio and, and keep making making things keep creating. So it's make very, people very happy. Yeah. Make people happy, man. It's very cool. So um you know as usual tell your family tell your friends and we'll be be getting back to y'all soon all right later later man